All right. Hopefully I'm not breaking any rules by not accidentally recording or doing something here incorrectly. I think you're recording. I think it's good. Um, All right. And we have everyone here, I see. One, two, three, four, five. Are we... Did we, Commissioner Chu was here, I think, right? She was, it looks like she dropped off again. She had sent me a text saying that she's having, computer was freezing. Yeah, mine restarted WebEx a few times, so I totally understand. Mine was doing the same thing too. I might put a resolution uh, at the next meeting, urging the commission to switch to Zoom. Yeah, I can join that club too because mine just mine <laughs> bounced off and bounced on too. I was just like, "Where'd it go?" Yeah. Yeah. Please do that. Okay. Why don't we just give Commissioner Chu maybe one more minute, and then we'll go ahead and start. I just sent her a text and she said it keeps freezing. So she's switching computers. So. Oh, man. Well, we can just go ahead and maybe and start and get the kind of ministerial things out of the way um, so that we can, by the time we start on the actual meeting, potatoes of things, then she'll have joined. So why don't we go ahead and we'll call this full commission uh, meeting of the Juvenile Probation Commission to order. Today's Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. The time is 5.34 p.m. Madam Secretary, can you please call the roll? President Joseph Ariano. Present. Commissioner Margaret Brodkin. Present. Commissioner Catherine Chu is trying to get on, so she should be on shortly. Commissioner Daniela Maldonado. Present. Commissioner Toya Moses. Present. Commissioner Andrea Shorter. Present. And Commissioner James Spingola. Present. President, you have a quorum. Thank you. We'll move on to item two. Public comment, uh, commissioners and JBD staff are competing remotely, as we all know. Um, so in that vein, uh, Madam Secretary, do we have any emails that we've received uh, for public comment or voicemails at this time? We actually have one public comment from Dinky. She could not attend Dinky with CJCJ and she uh, wrote in. And so I will read her public comment now. Okay. Says, at prior JPD commission meeting, CJCJ had made public comment that we had heard during a board meeting that the term, quote, oriental, end quote, had been used by JPD, and we had requested JPD to please stop the use of the term. After further review and further request of our colleagues, they reported that the comment was made in error. The individual realized that that was not what was actually meant slash said. Sorry for the confusion and happy to offer this clarification. Thank you. Thank you. And just uh, before we uh, move on, I just want to make sure that the public is aware. I believe is it Madam Secretary star three that they should press to 
raise their hands and add them added to the line. Correct. Just a reminder for the public uh, watching or wanting to make public comment here for item two to press star three to raise their hand, be added, and we'll go ahead and open the line for you. And also take this moment during uh, public comment to just welcome our newest commissioner, Commissioner Shorter, welcome. Uh, we're so excited to have you as part of the Juvenile Probation Commission, uh, and we greatly look forward to your contributions over the next few years. So thank you so much uh, for joining. Thank you, Commissioner, Mr. President of this commission. Just want to anchor that. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here and look forward to um, working and progressing with 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 this commission and this department. And just Andrew, Andrew goes way back. Commissioner Shorter goes way back on juvenile uh, justice issues. Um, has a long track record. She worked for a center on juvenile and criminal justice and is really steeped in justice reform. So it's going to be great to have her. Thank and you. it looked like, um, welcome, um, Commissioner. It looked like we can't get away from each other. <laughs> We've been on several meetings together. We were on censored. U.S. Census 2020 and some other thing we belong to. So it's always nice to work with you. You are such an incredible. I think the mayor made the right choice. Oh, thank you, Toye. Thank you, commissioners. Yeah, I'm excited. Nice to meet you, Danielle, and, and others. James, I know first for I've known him for some time too, and Joe. We've we've known each other a bit over the years. So Absolutely, everyone. Yeah, I look yeah. forward to meeting you one day in person when all this. Me too, right? <laughs> but welcome. Thank you very much. Well, I just wanted to make note that um, uh, Pauline, our, our secretary, I think has requested that I move Maria McKee as well as Emily Fox over. I just wanted to confirm. Uh, to our secretary, did I do that correctly? Since I'm the Martin Scorsese of the uh, meeting tonight. You did. Excellent. And I just wanted to note that Commissioner Chu, Commissioner Captain Chu is now present. Oh, good. Thank you. Perfect. So at this time, do we have any hands raised uh, for public comment? No, we do not. All right, we'll go ahead and close item number two. Public comment is now closed and move on to item three, I believe. I'm trying to juggle here several windows, the meeting minutes. Uh, do I have a motion to approve the meeting minutes of the previous meeting? So move. Um, I, I have a correction. Go ahead, Commissioner Brodkin. Yeah, um, and now I'm realizing, I think this, um, I wanna clarify the comment from um, Molly Brown. Um, she was concerned that she was quoted incorrectly. I'm sorry, I don't, I'm trying to stop my phone. Um, and that basically her comments on section four, <laughs> I can't, um, 
or about uh, using six using that um, uh, that site on Pine Street for transitional housing, not for an alternative to the juvenile hall. And that's a big distinction in some people's minds. So I think that needs to be changed. Okay, okay. I will do that. Thank you. Thank you. So do we have a motion to approve the meeting minutes of March 10th uh, with those amendments? So move. Do I have a second? A second. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, at this time, is there public comment on item three before we take a vote? And Secretary would- uh, No if we public comment. Perfect. Uh, could you please do a roll call vote at this time, Madam Secretary? Okay. President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Brodkin. Aye. Commissioner Tutu. Commissioner Chu is having problems connecting, so um, we'll just note her um, note sure. her comment. We'll, we can wait. Okay, Commissioner Maldonado. Um, I wasn't present at the last meeting, so should I be participating in this? I don't think so. You could abstain. I'll abstain. Okay, um, Commissioner Moses. Yeah. Yes. Okay, thank you, Commissioner Shorter. Um, I just got seated on the commission, therefore was not present. And so I think it's best that I abstain as well this time. Okay, thank you. And Spangola. Aye. Thank you. Motion approved. Thank you. Moving on to item number four, the chief's report. Uh, Chief Miller, I'll hand you the mic virtually and uh do i need uh to hand you the ball or anything for your presentation yes you do okay and i need to be refreshed how to do that because i'm not really it sure looks like i am now the presenter so i was able to pass it to her yeah okay thank you yeah. our secretary great um okay thank you thanks everybody welcome commissioner shorter i feel like we're we're all telling war stories, but I'm actually pretty sure that Commissioner Shorter is one of the first people I met when I came to San Francisco in like 1997. We were working, among other things, uh, to start a girls' residential center, ironically, right. for today. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's how we first met each other. So I'm super delighted that yes. you are here now. Um, I am going to share my screen. And we'll take it from there. So I'm going to start out by doing our monthly data report. Um, and Commissioner Shorter, this is um, a set of materials that have been kind of evolving over, I would say, the pretty much the last year or so. Um, we started doing the reports this way when I first got here, and we've been adding to it over time. Um, and I'm, I just wanted to put out the offer to you that I'm happy to either myself or have my um, staff who do this report and do a lot of our analysis spend time answering any questions that you may have. Um, uh, because I know everyone's had some time to kind of get used to it and digest it. So I wanted to make that offer. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm happy to do it. And, you know, um, Want to just say to everybody that uh, everyone knows this has kind of been an iterative process and I we're continuing to evolve this presentation, both 
what we're including in the report and also how we're kind of presenting it for everyone's collective attention here in the meeting. Um, so last month we talked about this a little bit, the idea of instead of going through all like 43 slides together, um, me um, highlighting and focusing in on a few of the, the ones that I think are most pertinent each month. You, everybody has the materials, you already have the data, but for me to do kind of a high level focus on some of them. Um, and then um, hopefully starting next month, using some time to do kind of a deeper dive each month into one of the subject areas. Um, so for today, I'm going to um, start that first process where I'll focus my attention in the presentation on a handful of the slides. And then at the end, I want to propose to you commissioners um, some suggestions for May and June of areas. I think it might make sense to start with that deeper dive and then hear your input so that we know uh, what to get started on for May. Um, so I am going to launch in and I'm going to start by taking everybody uh, to slide three, which is the juvenile hall demographics. Um, and so you can see this is from Monday. So Commissioner Shorter, we always start with the Monday prior to the commission meeting as kind of our most recent um, snapshot of who's in the hall. Um, so you can see that on Monday, there were nine kids in juvenile hall, nine young people, I should say, in juvenile hall. Two thirds were boys, 56% were black, 22% were AAPI, 11% Latinx, 11% white. One third of the young people were 18 and older. And of course, this is a trend that we've been talking about a lot in the last few months of having young adults in the hall, um, partly as a result of um, SB 832 being signed um, to close, uh, 23, sorry, I knew I had that wrong, being signed to, um, around DJJ closure, but also because of some young people with us turning 18. Um, and in addition, one third of the young people in the hall on Monday had where young people had been ordered to add a home placement. Um, I want to note a couple things. One is that the, the week before we actually went all the way back down for a few days to six young people, which is the lowest we had been since June. But I also want to note, uh, note something new in this um, discount, which is that we have one young person who's actually been committed by the court to a six month stay in the hall. Um, and I want to note that um, that's actually was on the motion of the young person and their defense attorney. So it was their motion asking for a six month commitment rather than going to out of home placement. Um, and the court granted the order. And so uh, we have been working with minors counsel, hall staff, probation officer collectively and, and the young person and, and her um, family collectively to uh, develop what that plan is going to be for the next six months. Um, I bring it up because I think it's an important thing for us to talk about when we talk about who's in the hall. I do want to note it's the first such motion that a judge has granted, but I think it's at least the third motion like that that we've gotten since January. So as we're thinking about where our young people want to go when they can't go home, I think it's really important to note that this young person asked to be in the hall <laughs> instead, and we need to um, take that seriously. I'm going to move us on to the next slide. I promise my focus will not just be going slide by slide. We're just starting off that way, but I'm going to take us to the DJJ snapshot. As a reminder, we changed the format of this a little bit last month. This is not how many young people we have at DJJ. This is how many young people have been committed to DJJ and are either there, either we're there in February or we're in post-release status, um, which was a total of six. 
so in February, there was still one young person at DJJ. That young person actually came home in March. So next month, when we show this report, it will reflect that none of our young people from San Francisco are at DJJ at this point. Um, but in February, we still had one young man there. But all six of the young people who fall under this status are male, 50% are black, 30%, a third are AAPI, 17% are white. Um, and uh, they all tend to skew, as you can see, toward older ages, um, the youngest being 19. I am going to now take us as part of this kind of focused effort to slide number eight. Um, and this is average daily population by gender. I just wanted to note this because I wanted to note that you'll see that the yellow bar is girls and that in February we had more girls in the hall than we've had any time since March a year ago. Um, and I wanted to just make sure that that's all front of mind for us, especially as we're talking about changes in programming for girls in the city. And I'm now gonna take us to slide 12 and 13 both, which are average length of stay. So this is something that we look at every month, obviously with a lot of attention. Commissioner Shorter, we divide this into two buckets, the kids who were released sometime during the month and the kids who were still in sometime during the month because those tend to be kids who could be with us for a very long time. So we obviously see two very kind of different measures. So you'll see that for the kids who were released during the course of the month, um, actually, the average length of stay was pretty low in February. For the kids who stayed, it's pretty high. And I want to remind all of us that we have a young person who has been with us for well over 500 days at this point because of the nature of their case. Um, and that tends to really skew these averages. And because of that, I think it's actually more useful for us to focus on the median. So for everybody who failed this in your math class, when you're looking at the mean, the mean is the average. When you're looking at the median, the median is the middle point of a number set. So um, it kind of it dilutes the effect of those outliers, right? That young person with us for 500 plus days. Um, so for all the kids who were released in that month, the median, the middle point of how long they were with us was six days. And then for the young people who remained in custody throughout the month, so our longer term kids, even for those kids, the median amount of time that they were with us was 24 days. And I just think it's worth seeing those numbers, particularly the six day number, that that seems to be kind of that middle point for how long um, kids are with us who come in and out. I'm going to take us now to slide 18. And 18 is the slide that we spend a lot of time talking about every month. It's admissions by primary detention reason. Why are kids getting detained? Um, so in February, there were 16 admissions to juvenile hall. 81% of them were mandatory, um, including five for mandatory new law violations and seven for warrants and court orders. So those are reflected here on the bottom left, the mandatory. And that means that under law, they had to be detained until they got before a judge. And then additionally, we had three non-mandatory detentions. So law itself does not compel detention for them. And those were all cases where when we used our detention risk instrument, our screening instrument, they scored at or above 11. Um, and the screening instrument, of course, is what we have developed and used in San Francisco that looks at different kinds of risks and mitigations. Um, so all three of the non-mandatories were that situation. There were young people presenting in circumstances where their score was over 11 
Um, just for a point of reference, I'll share that two of the three involved guns. Um, and the third was the um, uh, third arrest for a young person in a pretty short amount of time. But those were the three that we had that were not mandated by law and were instead a decision point based on our risk instrument. I'm going to now take us over all the way to 22 to referrals into, into the juvenile justice system. Um, so we look at three things. We look at how many referrals came into probation, how many referrals went to CARC, Community Assessment Referral Center, and how many then the DA's office um, diverted into Make It Right. Um, and I want to point out that CARC and Make It Right are kind of a subset, right, of, of the entirety of referrals coming in. So I want to draw your attention to this for two reasons. One reason was that in February, there were 33 referrals to probation, which is lower than the average during the pandemic. So it was pretty low months in terms of referrals. Um, but actually, there were 10 referrals to CARC, and that's the highest number we've had since the pandemic began, which suggests to me that the police are now um, uh, taking action on more lower level cases for kids, right? So for a lot of time during the pandemic, the only cases really coming our way tended to be those higher level cases. Um, but we're now seeing more cases going to CARC, and then the DA's office didn't send any cases to um, make it right, restorative justice in February. Oops, sorry. Um, I'm now going to take us all the way to slide 32. And of course, I'm happy to go back to any for questions, but just for the purposes of um, this focused approach. So 32 is at a home placement by gender, and I wanted to um, bring it up to our attention for two reasons. Um, one reason is that we continue to track that decline in overall numbers of kids in placement. And then I wanted to show the breakdown again of boys and girls. 34 young men, five young women who've been ordered to placement. Um, and to note that this is very, you know, very relevant, um, given the fact, and we'll talk about this some more later, of course, that we have been notified by Catholic charities that they, they do intend to close their girls shelter, something that we're still in conversation about. But given that and our need to really focus on making sure we have options for girls, I wanted to bring this number to our attention. Um, I will note of the five girls who are, have been ordered to placement in here, three of these girls are AWOL and two of them are with relatives. So they're not even, they're not in, none of them are in group homes at this moment. And I will then take us to slide 41, which is our dispositions. So as a reminder, starting in September, we started looking at how do cases resolve that come through? There hadn't been a mechanism for looking at that before and, and presenting it to you in a way that showed any kind of trends over time. So we started then, so obviously we're now six months into doing that. Um, complicated to look at, but basically the, the kind of high points are that for the six months for which we have data, 36% of dispositions have resulted in probation, right? The court actually declaring wardship probation for kids. That's kind of the number one result. The number two result has been um, dismissals with 28% resulting in dismissals. And then there's three outcomes that have kind of been tied at 10% in the last month. 10% resulted in out-of-home placement, either a new commit to out-of-home placement or just a recommit for a kid who already had been in placement. 10% resulted in, in um, 654 informal probation. 
10% resulted in transfers out, which means that the young person um, lives in a different county and the court has transferred them back to their county. So those are the main ones and then there's some smaller ones as well. And then finally, I wanted to talk for a minute about deep dives before I go back and answer questions you may have. So, like I said, we think it would be beneficial for you, for the commission and the public, for us to spend some time each month going deeper on an issue than we can do when we go through 43 slides, right? So this is what we would um, like to offer to you and happy to, of course, hear feedback and any other ideas that you have, but just going into the next two months. Um, for May, I think a discussion around out-of-home placement at a deeper level is really, really timely, both out-of-home placement and alternatives to juvenile hall. Um, uh, it's really timely for closed juvenile hall discussions. It's really timely for our discussions. Um, and we think it's, we should do that here in May. Um, we have a graduate student um, from the Goldman School of Public Policy who's working with us on doing an analysis of our kids in placement. She's talked to a number of stakeholders to get their ideas and suggestions. Um, and so she will be available in May to present that as a launch for us to have a real discussion around what the placement numbers suggest. That's what we'd like to offer to you. Um, and then for June, we were thinking that we would do a deeper dive into average daily population and length of stay. I think these are critical metrics to understanding what's driving our hall population. So again, very, very relevant to the task we have around juvenile hall closure. Um, we're thinking that we would both analyze data over a period of time and also do some case file review for the young people who are in detention on a specific day. So we'd pick like January 11th, right? And look at every young person there and really look at um, the various factors that were contributing to their length of stay. Were they awaiting placement? Were they pending trial? Not so much about their um, treatment and service needs. That's gonna be coming up in the closed juvenile hall work group case file reviews that are happening, but really what are the drivers of why a young person is sitting in the hall at any given moment and what decisions and policy changes should we all be looking at? So that's what I would like to suggest to you as um, our deep dives for those two months. And then we're happy to both um, take feedback on whether you like or don't like the, that proposal. And then of course, on what other deep dives you are interested in future months. And I will pause for questions. Commissioner Moses. Um, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Chief. Um, can you go back to slide one again? I can. Um, there's probably a better way to do this. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. This uh, to this slide? Statistic. To the juvenile hall demographics? Right. Okay. Maybe it's the one before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like something is working because if you look at the black, it's now 56%, which is much lower than previous, previous. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing is if you look at AAPI, it's 22%. Do you, that's kind of unusual because it's, it's a little bit higher than how it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, Kule, does he have anything to do with pandemic or some other issue going on you know, in the city? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I, I think the best answer I can give is that when we hit a point where we're talking about nine kids, right. any one kid coming in actually really affects the percentages, right? Sure. 
So there's two young people who are AI, AAPI in the hall, and that has kind of skyrocketed that percentage. <laughs> I think if you looked at last month, there would have been one, if I remember correctly. So it's nothing specific to that that we've seen. It just happens to be who else has come into the hall in the last month. And it does have an outsized effect on percentages because the numbers are so small. Yeah, uh, I know it kind of fluctuates. I just I just noticed that, that you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. unusual. I haven't seen such a high number before. And um, for the yes. African-American, I'm so happy that it's going down. So let's keep it that way. We love to yeah. see it going down much, 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 much more. So thank you, Sheik. Of course. Are there other questions? Uh, Commissioner Shorter? Yes, thank you for this um, presentation. I had a question with regards to what, um, I didn't see which slide number it was, but there was a reference to new law violations. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, can you possibly <clears throat> describe a bit more about that? And then I, I have a follow-up question. Sure, absolutely. And I'm going to keep it, if you all can read it well enough, I'll keep it in this format so we can toggle back and forth between slides. Yes. You see it well enough? Mm -hmm. So a new law violation means that they have been arrested by the police for committing allegedly a new offense and they're being brought in on that new offense. Mm -hmm. And under the law, anything that is a 707B offense, so a serious and violent felony, or any case that involved the use of a gun in the commission of the offense, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just having a gun, um, those are mandatory bookings. So the law requires that for any of those offenses, the young person be detained. It's an automatic detention. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so the kind of risk analysis that we would maybe do in other cases has no bearing on those. They Until okay. they go before a court, they must be detained. Mm -hmm. um, and then the warrant or court orders would be young people who already are under the jurisdiction of the court and um, for whatever reason, the judge has issued a warrant or a court order for them to come in. So mm -hmm. in some cases, you know, you can see warrants issued at probation's request, right? Mm -hmm. But um, in other cases, you would see that a, a court issues a warrant. So, 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 so there may be times when a probation could um, ask for a warrant because a young person is not in compliance or something like that. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, we have dramatically reduced those numbers in the last year. We have kind of a number of approval levels that um, probation officers have to go through before they could ask for that. So we see it very rarely now. Where you most often will see these follow in the categories of um, like a young person's placed on home detention and they're violating the terms of it. Um, mm -hmm. They have left a group home and are AWOL and then mm -hmm. get picked up, right, by the police or come to police attention and have that warrant in the system. Mm -hmm. They may have failed to appear for court and the courts issued a bench warrant so those are the kind of things, but what's significant is those are not new young people to us or new offenses, right? Mm -hmm. They're coming in because that warrant has been put into the system for them. Right. Thank you for that. I think I, that's um, how I was reading it, but that was um, very, very helpful. Um, my last, my last question, if I might, um, is this, so with the overall report and I, um, uh, very much appreciate um, this report. Are there, um, is there a period of time when there is any sort of comparative analysis in terms of 
regionally, for mm -hmm. instance, um, our hall population right now, you said is our nine mm -hmm. youth, um, the median or the mean uh, stay is six days, correct? Um, so some on some of those those sort of basic, I would go through the report again to see if there's anything more specific. But I don't. How does how does what's happening in San Francisco is is my point. Um, you know, is it part of sort of a trend that's you know regional? Mm -hmm. If I were to go over to Alameda County, um, go to Oakland, or go to you know, up go north. Do we do any kind of comparative analysis? And you know, maybe it's quarterly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that if there are trends, um, if there's um, yeah, even in terms of types of offenses that are percolating, or that we can see that youth are being um, brought into the system or before the system for. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so what what type of, of comparative analyses uh, to put it within even even greater context in terms of the trends or what we're seeing happening in San Francisco? Sure, I really appreciate that question. And I will tell you that we have kind of an anecdotal sense, but not detailed numbers. I do think that's a, um, it's making me think as you're talking commissioner that it may be a good example of um, something that we could take a deeper dive into in one of the months. I also think it's something that we could try to address in our annual report, right? Which we're working on right now for last year. Mm -hmm. um, anecdotally, what I can tell you is, of course, most jurisdictions um, had had seen, you know, a lot of emptiness in their juvenile halls, right? So, mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, Jill Tucker and Joaquin Palmino at the Chronicle had done some analysis across the state, right? A few years ago, showing that on average, two thirds of hall beds across the state were empty. Mm -hmm. So we already had that dynamic, obviously it varies from place to place. Um, and then during the pandemic, everyone has seen their numbers go further down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not this far down in many, many cases, right. but further down, right? Um, and so uh, Maria McKee, who is our Director of Research and Planning, um, is in conversation and has, you know, established relationships with kind of her counterparts in other Bay Area departments. And so it might be a good place for us to, to look right in the, because we know our kids move around so much too. Mm -hmm. So at least in the Bay Area, what are we seeing in the way of trends? Mm -hmm. I think it's something that we could definitely, um, as much as we can kind of match apples to apples across mm -hmm. different jurisdictions and we'll have to see what people are measuring and where um, find some some kind of uh, rational ways to be drawing those comparisons and bringing them in to to share with everybody. So we'll put that on our list. I think um, for potentially for a deeper dive in the future, and then um, I'll circle back with Maria, who's listening right now and probably furiously taking notes um, about what we could what we do have access to and what we could um, create access to. Wonderful. Thank you, Commissioner yeah. Brodkin. Did you have a question, Commissioner Brodkin? Thought I saw your hand raised. I think you're muted, Commissioner. 
Okay, I had a couple of questions and I went, uh, thank you. Uh, sorry, I wanted to comment on Commissioner Shorter's question to be having done a lot of comparisons county to county and seeing some bad data come out of it. It's just so important that we do it per population. Um, and and recognizing what a low youth population we have actually mm -hmm. compared to some of our counties, it gives us a much clearer picture. So I want to ask about the 10 referrals to CARC, um, since that is such an increase. Um, with the 33 referrals, does that include those 10 referrals or are the 10 referrals in addition to the 33 referrals you got? So any, so um, I'm trying to get back to it and I can't remember where it is. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to find it. But what I will say is, so the 33 is inclusive, right? So the 33 includes, because because any referral to CARC is a referral by the police to probation. No, no. Right? I understand that. Yeah. So that so 33, 10 went to CARC and 23 went to um, the probation of our, that's really low. I mean, given how, mm -hmm. how many, I, I mean, I hope you see that as a, positive sign um, right. and it, it, it's it's pretty dramatic um about the 10 that went to Kark though are, are we seeing something that's meaningful or just a fluke in the data because you said there were like three misdemeanors but there were 10 referrals to Kark does that oh, mean no. we're referring high level more high level people to Kark no no, no 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 sorry about that um so I didn't so I, I misspoke if I said three misdemeanors I said for example misdemeanors is what I meant to say so the I, cases I, that go to Kark are a breakdown that can be it's a combination commissioner some are felonies some are misdemeanors right um but the police can bring non-violent felonies to Kark so right. that 10 incl will include a combination of the two and we can do a deeper look at what that is it is worth knowing that, reminding everybody that if a case goes to CARC, but it's a felony, um, it can go to CARC and, of course, receive services there. But still, we also have to take it to the DA's office to see if they want to charge it. Um, and then some of those cases wind up getting diverted by the, by the um, DA's office to make it right. So you could have in any given month. One, one young person that's reflected in all three of these columns. They could have been brought by the police to CARC on a felony, which then probation is required by law to bring to the DA, and then the DA sends to make it right. So okay. there's some I just across these I thought there were three, only three misdemeanors, um, but anyway, uh, it, it, you think most of those are misdemeanors that went to CARC? No, I don't know. I'm saying I think it's a combination and we're happy to so take a look, but I don't I can't tell you right now with accuracy. I wanted to say I support your deep dive ideas um, and hope that when we talk of out of about out of home placement, we talk about the A wall rate because mm -hmm. um, that is such an important aspect of what's happening in out of home placement and you know how to fix that or what it's a reflection of or you know mm -hmm. that seems to me a really important thing. I also want to say that the program committee is going to talk about eighteen and up year. 18 year olds up so it might make sense to do some deep dive at the next meeting you know uh post the program committee to talk about you know who the 18 year olds are 18 and over are and sort of figure sort of figure out a little bit more of what's what's going on there i did want to 
I, I still missing. I have to keep saying it. But you still crave data on CBO referrals mm -hmm. and how, how it, you know, and it keeps coming back over and over. Uh, came back again in a meeting um, for the closed juvenile hall group today. So I. <laughs> I, if there is some way to give us some data on the utilization of CBOs mm -hmm. um, before you have to revise your entire data system, um, I just would appeal to your, your wonderful data person to see what we might be able to come up with. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to, um, uh, of the, oh, well, we're going to talk about average length of stay because. Um, I'm I'm just wondering maybe when we talk about it in greater depth, for those kids for who who have a short length of stay, is what is the possibility that they not be admitted at all, or that we have some way of anticipating who they are, or you know, um, mm -hmm. that 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 would be something I would like to explore when we talk about average length of stay, and I do. I also want to talk about caseloads, and I noticed you put it in the data, and I was um, very grateful about that. Um, but if you take out the CARC people and the AB12 people, um, it's 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 a low caseloads. Your your caseloads are going down. It's a, and if we talk about the footprint of the probation department reducing, this is certainly evidence in my view that that is possible. So I had a couple more questions, but I think that's kind of it for now, um, especially when, um, if a third of the kids, the petition is sustained, and then a lot of, a lot of them are dismissed, um, we can talk more about that, what happens with the ones that are not sustained and, what that what that's a reflection of? Sure, I'm just making notes, and again, I, I'm assuming Maria is also furiously writing this down. And I think that's a really good question, Commissioner, because sometimes things are dismissed because of evidentiary issues, but very often they're dismissed because we've all found a different path forward. <laughs> and so it's it's worth noting, you know, those distinctions. And I think you're right to to ask about what that means. Yeah, because that's great if we're getting uh, alternatives and um, the case gets dismissed. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a really good reflection on the department. On the other hand, if it's a reflection that we're picking up kids where the case is ultimately dismissed and should not have been picked up, that's also um, important to note. And I am always asking about the warrants because mm -hmm. Um, I think that is something we should do a deep dive into, and I don't know if it fits into either of the things you anticipate coming up, but I'd like to add it to the list. Okay, I'm writing it on the list. I do think, you know, each of these is going to require some kind of time and attention from us. So I think we probably should try to stick with one on each. Um, I, you know, and I, I, what I have from you right now are talking about CBO referrals young adults, warrants, and then dismissal. So let me circle back with Maria and we'll see what we can offer up in the way of a schedule or an order potentially. And then if we could agree that the next meeting we will focus on out-of-home placements, then at that time we could come back and propose kind of a calendar 
with these ideas added onto it and um, hear back from you all about whether you want to make changes to the order. And I like this because it allows us to discuss the issue, not just the numbers. Exactly. Because the numbers are useless unless we talk about what's behind the numbers, what it means, and what the implications are for changes in policy or directions. Yes. So, thank you. Mr. Spangola, did you have your hand raised? Go ahead. Yes, I did. Yes. Hey, Chief Miller, do we know back at the beginning, do we know if the young person that was asked to be placed in juvenile, is was he already sentenced? Uh, is it part of the probation? Or is he waiting to be sentenced? Or did we know what his situation was? I and mean, that, so, what, what, what occurred, you know, and why he asked that, because that can open up so many cans of right, worms right there. So, yeah, um, so obviously, obviously, it's really hard for me to talk about any given case. What I yeah. can say is that. It, you know, in the case of a young person for whom being uh, returned home wasn't an option, this was the outcome that they sought. Yeah, no, I was just wondering, was he sentenced already? Or is he waiting to be sentenced? Or is he- in, So in this the, is the sentence commissioner for, oh. I mean, to, to kind of apply that word to the juvenile system, right? This is the yeah. equivalent of a six month sentence in juvenile hall. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then just a comment too. I do I do agree with the deeper dive piece of it all. I think that you know the reports are fine, right? We can go through 160 uh, pages of reports, right? But it doesn't get us into like what we really need to be talking about in this short length of time, right? So mm -hmm. I think the deeper dive is definitely something that we that you know I I'm, I'll definitely agree with you on that. Uh, deeper dive is definitely it will definitely work for us as a, a commission. To kind of go into what's what's needed and what's you know like how we end up here you know sometime you know yeah i think that's exactly right and i think what i would submit to all of you is to use the date that the pages in this report as like the springboard right so it may be that you're looking at one of these slides and you think god we really need to know what's behind that and that's what i think how i think this report can then help us um, identify the things you want to make those dives into right Yes, I Are agree. there other questions? I had just one other comment, which is, I was a little alarmed the judge, you can say whether you think it's alarming, but the judge um, allowing a young person to stay in juvenile hall for six months, is, I, it, it doesn't seem like a good precedent to start turning the juvenile hall into a, you know, detention into a placement. Mm -hmm. So I understand a young person preferring to go there than maybe some farther away. It's just familiar, or maybe there's a, you know, there's a variety of reasons why a young person would prefer that. I do find it a little, a, a sort of an alarming precedent and I'm interested in your opinion and interested in why you think, is, the, is this just a fluky case? Is this a, big thing that's happening? Should we start thinking about what's going wrong that <laughs> this is happening? So I think it's a great question, Commissioner. Um, I uh, I guess I have a few responses. One is this isn't a new phenomenon. <laughs> this is something that's happened over time at defense motions in a number of cases. Um, and, and ironically, it's actually what led Chief Nance to propose the creation of an in-custody program, right? A couple summers ago, I think because yes, this is coming up a lot in juvenile court, defense attorneys asking for this. Um, and so then you saw how kind of that played out. Um, 
but we've been seeing it kind of ticking up again for us. So we had it, I think, once or twice kind of in the fall. Like I said, I think this is the third motion that defense attorneys have brought since January, just the first one the judge has granted. So I would, I would say to you that you can see the judge is still being very uh, parsimonious with those motions, right? Um, and there's always unique circumstances. Uh, and we should understand the reasons behind it. And I, I think we do um, in this case, but just can't really talk about it. I will say it's a good reminder to all of us, right? That we always talk about wanting to hear youth voice and put youth voice at the center. And then sometimes when kids ask for things that we cannot understand, it's really tempting to be like, oh no, we can't do what you're asking. But you know, this was a, this was a hard fought, hard fought. Uh, resolution of this case, I'm going to be um, very frank and share with you that we opposed that motion. Um, we, because we did not believe that the hall is set up to be a long term therapeutic program for kids. Um, so probation did and it, uh, not, has not has opposed all of them so far. Um, but in this case, the court felt that it was the right solution. And so we've been working, um, you know, in partnership to figure out what that plan looks like. There is going to be, um, I'm just counting it, and there's at least five um, uh, service providers who are going to be providing services to that young person in the hall. Um, you know, there's been a child and family team meeting to figure out how that's going to go so that everybody could be on the same page. We're treating it, Commissioner, with all the seriousness with which I think you'd want us to treat it. Right. And I um, feel like sometimes young young people they only know a certain things the the range of their experience. Yeah. Like, I, I'll say it's. Um, it, I wouldn't it's, say that's the case here. Um, I also sometimes think we need to remember, as much as it can feel very strange, that you know, for young people who spent a lot of time in the hall, they have relationships with people who work there who who can be very dear to them and who they do seek that kind of relationship from and so that can also influence sometimes what a young person chooses instead of going somewhere new um, but it's a really important conversation for us to have and i um you know and i want to be really clear i'm not sharing this to like throw the defense attorneys under the bus that is not at all the message but i do feel like we we need to talk about all the drivers of our hall population and that's it's one of them um, you know, I wasn't at the closed juvenile hall work group meeting earlier today um, because my brain was exploding. But um, I know that there were some comments made. You know, I, I heard I heard through the grapevine, including from defense attorneys, that we really don't need the hall; we just need alternatives. And I hear that, and then I balance these right. motions coming in, right? I, yeah. So it's just, it's complicated, and this is where the um, kind of the devil's in the details, and we all need to really dig in together and look at the dynamics and the and the data and talk about what has led to each of the young people who's there and what do we need to look at. First. Well, the whole idea of having uh, closing the hall and having young people develop relationships in the community where they're going to be continued and sustained mm -hmm. um, is really important. Anyway. I, I, it does not seem like a good precedent to me. We will put that in our next um, opposition. <laughs> Commissioner Chu, go ahead. Hi, everyone. I, I first wanted to apologize for my tech troubles earlier and for my late joining and also to do a belated welcome to Commissioner Shorter. Hi. Um, 
Chief Miller, as always, thank you so much for these very detailed reports. Um, before I forget, since there was just that very vivid conversation about the youth who asked to stay in the hall, I would also point out that I'm sure that their defense attorney reviewed all options with them and spoke to them at length about what it is mm -hmm. that they were seeking. So um, I, I think, you know, if that's what the youth wanted and their attorney obviously is guided by their wishes. So I, there's another layer there to make sure that they do have an advocate and understand what it is they're asking for. Absolutely. And as a former attorney for um, minors and a lot of teenagers, I um, very much feel the point you just made. And we've, we've, and we've been in that, I have been in that position of talking to a young person about their options and, and advocating for what they want, right? So thank you for, for putting that that way. It was very well, very well said. Um, regarding Commissioner Broadpin's request for information regarding cases that are dismissed instead of, uh, or the cases where the petition is not sustained, um, this could be my own ignorance. So I'm hope I'm, at, I'm speaking a teaching moment here, and I'm wondering, does that arrest or contact with law enforcement, even if it results in a dismissed petition, essentially staying the youth's record? We see this happening in adult cases. So I wonder mm -hmm. if even if the ultimate outcome is that it's dismissed. I'm seeing Chief Miller shake her head. So um, that's good. I'm glad to learn that. Thank you. Yeah, no, we so our, our department will go ahead. The probation department will, is has the, um, the job then going ahead and making sure the record is sealed. Wonderful. Hey, can I comment on that too? Um, that 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 varies. It depends on who who's actually looking into your case right they because they can come back and tell you that you got arrested and they got dismissed you know five six seven eight years from now right so it depends on actually who's investigating you know the i mean it, it comes in different forms whether it's federal or whatever it is but they can come back and tell you every time you got picked up pulled over and what happened with it so it doesn't go away nothing disappears right so but it so just don't right. on you so, so it depends, right? So Commissioner Singola, right? Of course, it depends for kids versus adults. And under the law now, there are many instances where we're actually required to fully obliterate yeah. case files. Right? I get it. I get it, Chief Miller. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a product. I'm a product of that, of what I did in juvenile, mm -hmm. coming up when I became an adult, and it never even got to court. So I know exactly. So it is not something that I'm. No, it, it happens all the time, especially, you know, with, with um, minority or um, young people. It, do, it does come up. They tell you where you got picked up, when you got picked and the whole thing. Now, it doesn't go away. It's always in there. So I don't know right. what we do to kind of clear it up, but it's there. It's, it's there. Well, and I would, I mean, I think what's heartening is that we've even had in the last few years, right, increased protections in state law, particularly around juvenile records. So what I just talked about that requirement for sealing and kind of really sealing records, right? Even de and destroying in some cases records, those are relatively new changes that don't didn't help you, unfortunately. Um, but I'm hopeful that they are, you know, a, a real help to our young people. On the flip side, they completely um, destroy our ability to do uh, uh, research in some ways. But it's it's a price we're willing to pay to not have records kind of following our kids. Um, and, you know, it reminds me that it might be useful at some point to actually do a presentation on the current state of the law around record sealing so that we yeah. can all know kind of what is the, the landscape now for our young people. 
when are their records getting sealed now? And to your point, Commissioner Spangola, how real is that, right? right. Who can see it? What does it mean? So we'd be happy to, um, if that's something the commissioners are interested in having, we'd be happy to um, make, find um, a legal resource to come in and do that with us. And that 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 can be that's one of them deeper dives we can do, you know, when it comes into that's a deeper dive. I mean, because I would, you know, I would love to have that in place too, because you know, we 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 get in that concept that you know that things are get closed, you know, actually, you know, because we actually run the clean slate too, and it doesn't, you know, people it it, it's, it don't go. It just you know, it's I don't know. It, like you said, it, it's it's going to be. It's like it maybe now moving forward, we can find a way that it actually disappears and you mm -hmm. you know it don't show up. But you know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a I'm deeper not dive. sure if I'm supposed to like advocate for legislation here, but I will also <laughs> share that on this subject um, that um, Assemblymember Ting actually has a bill going through the legislature right now. Um, that would make re retroactive a lot of the um, kind of record clearing up at the state level for criminal records. So for folks who are interested and curious, you should check out Assemblymember Ting's current bill that's going through the legislature, that number I'm forgetting right now. Um, but it is one of the bills that is a priority for him this year. Um, and and uh, when I was at the DA's office, both Maria and I actually, the DA's office, we both worked over the years on um, a number of what are now laws, Commissioner, that did have served to really increase that protection. So we uh, we are right there with you on the importance of it. Commissioner Maldonado, did you have a question about the data report? I don't. Thank you for such a great presentation again, Chief. I appreciate it. It's incredibly thorough. Thank you. Commissioner Chu, I saw you raise your hand again. Sorry, I think that the conversation got sidetracked. It was really important though, so I'm happy we went on that sidetrack. I did have um, three more very quick points though, if, if yeah. you could indulge me. Um, on the DRI scale, is that something I heard you say that the department works on? Is that something that we could review and perhaps um, go over or discuss in some time in the future? Definitely. Absolutely, and we are actually taking a hard look at it right now and doing some in, some um, internal analysis right now on it that I think will be totally on point with what you are looking to explore. I so love absolutely. I love when we're on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what does it mean to you that no cases went to were referred to make it right? Um, you know, I it was really a. I'm trying to find it. It's. I'm not, I am seriously not trying to punt in any way when you ask me that question. Um, but I am going to say that it's a really important question for the, for the DA's office, because that is fully their decision, right? So the, for, um, just as a point of reference for folks, so make it right as prosecutor diversion. So for the cases that we bring to the DA's office, that probation brings to the DA's office, usually as required by law, the DA can make the decision whether to file, whether to discharge, or um, sometimes they'll tell us to, to um, send a case to CARC instead, for example, or of course to divert and one of the ways to something else and to make it right has for six years now been the primary kind of diversion program of the DA's office. I actually started it when I worked at the DA's office, so it's very near and dear to my heart. Um, and so it's the DA's office looking at the case to make sure it's a case that they 100% would go ahead on legally. It's not supposed to be the place you send like 
bad cases with bad evidence, right? Because that wouldn't be diversion, that would be net widening. Um, and then they look to see whether it's an eligible offense from their, their vantage point. And if so, then they offer it to the young person. Um, and that point, it gets handed off to their CBO partners who actually contact the youth, contact the harmed party and move the case forward. So I don't have a great answer other than to say, if you look at the numbers, they've really been between zero and three in any given month. So it's very low from month to month. And in some cases, sometimes right now, it'll just be zero. Um, I will say that uh, they are working on expanding the use of it for different kinds of charges. Um, they were they've I keep wanting to say we they have just finished or are just finishing up now an evaluation with California policy labs of make it right so that we can all really understand the outcomes preliminary findings suggested very, very positive outcomes in terms of recidivism for make it right. Um, so I expect we'll see that number continuing to go up, but I also think it's a good reminder that. When we have so few cases overall coming in in a given month, it's just going to be less likely that they'll, the cases that they identify as make it right eligible. So it was one of the lowest months we've ever had totally of cases coming in. So I'm not shocked that they wouldn't have had cases for make it right. Oh, and I should also note the DA's office has started another diversion program as well. Um, and that one is for unaccompanied minors. Um, and generally, I think you'll see it for case for drug sales cases. So it's a partnership they've established with the law clinic at the University of San Francisco, and they'll be diverting young people to that clinic um, for both immigration legal assistance, as well as then referral to um, community providers to help them with um, their needs. That's wonderful. Thank so you for letting us. We may have to add that actually. Maria, we may have to add that <laughs> So as another bar on the slide. It's it's new. They just recently launched it. On the idea of deep dives, perhaps we could add diversion as one of their topics, uh, including first contact diversion. I think we briefly touched on it last time um, as an idea to follow up on. Mm -hmm. And with the idea of deep dives, I was hoping, I find these really quick reviews um, really helpful even if I do go over all the slides before we meet, um, it just kind of helps remind me. And then it's helpful, I think, to hear the other commissioners' comments and questions and kind of like popcorn back and forth from that. So I would hope that we could still do some at least quick review like we're doing today and have mm -hmm. some flexibility um, for what topic we would do a deep, deep dive into the next time so that we're not stuck. You know, if, if something urgent or really pertinent comes up that I think mm -hmm. the commissioners want to talk about the next time or two months from then, I, I would hope that it wouldn't be punted to, you know, we'll talk about that eight months from eight months. Yeah, I think um, we will, we'll do our best to kind of uh, marry flexibility with the, just the length of time it may take for us on certain topics to really do the analysis and the data cleaning and like all the kind of spiraling out of inquiry that comes out of anything that we always think we'll be able to kind of do as a put. I feel like we can just do it at the push of a button, but my staff would say that is not true. So, so we'll kind of marry flexibility and um, workability uh, and in a way that I think will can work for you. Are there any further questions or comments for the chief on the data report? All right, chief can please continue. 
Okay. Um, I will continue with my workforce report. I think that's what's up next. Workforce update. I have uh, a, a hello and a goodbye to report this month. Um, so the hello is that we just this week, just Monday, we're able to announce that we are hiring um, our uh, new director of probation services, um, both new and old. Um, Pauline, if you can move Gabe Calvillo from the attendees onto the screen, that would be great. I think he's there. Um, so, uh, so Gabe Calvillo is going to be joining the department as our director of probation services, replacing Sarah Schumann, who retired in December after being in that work for a long time. Um, Gabe uh, is not new to the department, and in fact, I think was here for 13 years, uh, way back when, both working in juvenile hall and as a probation officer. He then left the department 14 years ago to go to adult probation and has been there ever since. I'm very delighted to welcome him back to juvenile probation. I think there's a few um, special kind of uh, qualities that he brings to us. One is um, that he's been at adult probation at a time of great change, at a time when they did a lot of work to bring evidence-based practices into the way they do their work, to form relationships with the CASC, which is their kind of kind of their cark, I guess, in a way. Um, and is very much kind of been um, you know, in leadership in the department as a supervisor through that time, really helping POs there start doing the work in new ways. So I think that's terrific. Um, Pauline, can, have you found him? Is he there? No, actually, we just see us. Um, there's four call-in users. There are 10, 11, oh, 12, I wonder if he's there as a call-in. Okay. Well, I will talk about him either way. And if we can't bring him up, then he will be here for plenty of time with us in the future. But he can hear me saying nice things. Um, anyways, I really feel like he's done great work over an adult that can help us as we learn how to do some new things here. He also, his role at adult is he's actually the supervisor over the young adult unit there. So for folks who don't know, oh, he's just texted me, I'm here. So he's listening. <laughs> for the folks who don't know, San Francisco's adult probation department was actually one of the first departments in the country to have specialized probation units for young adults. Um, and something that really other jurisdictions have looked to San Francisco's adult probation department for to learn from. The POs in those units are specially trained in young adult brain development and making sure they're aware of the services and resources for young adults in San Francisco and just in the way that they interact day to day, right? Um, and I think that's a really, really great um, background and experience to be bringing into the department in this moment, where as you all have seen in the last few months, we have a lot, almost half, right, of our caseload are young people 18 and up. And then, of course, we have more young young adults in the facility than we've ever had. Um, so I'm really excited. I think he feels like he's um, coming home uh, to juvenile probation. And um, Gabe and I have worked a lot together when I was at the DA's office. I've seen his ability to partner and start new initiatives. Um, very exciting. And so he starts on... Um, Monday, actually the 19th, and you will see him going forward in future meetings. I wanted to say welcome to Gabe Calvio. He also knows what he's coming back to, so no apologies. And then I also wanted to um, do a goodbye, and so I'm gonna share my screen to do the goodbye, um, even though every part of me wants to not do the goodbye. I'm sharing my screen. So this is the goodbye. 
<laughs> so um, we uh, are acknowledging today as a group, this is Paula Hernandez's last meeting with us. Um, Paula is retiring, our assistant chief is retiring um, on May 8th. Um, you guys have heard me say this a few times, but it's my birthday, worst birthday gift ever. And um, she is leaving the department after, I think, six years as our assistant chief, but after a career in probation that spanned San Francisco, um, Solano, I mean, Contra Costa, sorry, <laughs> and Napa. Um, she uh, has really been an incredible resource for me in this last year. I cannot thank her enough for welcoming me into the department, for stepping in as assistant chief, as acting chief when there wasn't a chief in the department, um, and then welcoming me in and then staying and working with me for this last um, 15 months. Um, she is just a wealth of information and experience. She's been lovely to work with, and I wanna thank her from the bottom of my heart. And I um, believe that there's also some acknowledgement coming from the commissioner. So I'm gonna stop sharing so this doesn't hog the screen. Um, this is my attempt to find something with a badge in the background. So I will put it back down and we can all be humans again. Thank you, and Chief. I see her there and I don't know if she's like in a place where she wants to be visible or not, but I know she's here. <laughs> I, I also saw her there um, and I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the retirement of someone who I think I've worked, uh, there, there she is. Um, so closely over the years, uh, I think, uh, I don't think I can recall a meeting where um, Assistant Chief Hernandez was not involved in some way. She's been incredibly um, helpful whenever myself or any of the commissioners have had questions. She follows up, uh, just in, takes it, you know, above and beyond uh, any kind of inquiries that we have. She's always knows exactly what's happening on every unit. Um, if we have questions. She's just been just a, a wonderful person uh, to work with uh, in my time uh, as a commissioner and as president of this commission. So uh, I think this is the worst birthday present you could have ever been given, Chief. Um, and we're going to miss Assistant Chief Hernandez so much. Um, and we acknowledge her contributions, both from the commission standpoint and thank you, Chief, for those words from the department standpoint. So we're going to, this is, I do this. Uh, in a bittersweet fashion, uh, Assistant Chief. Um, Paula, it's been a pleasure to work with you. We wish you all the best in retirement and um, you know, can't wait to uh, hear what's next. Hopefully just a lot of family time and um, a lot of rest. I'm sure that it is much deserved. So thank you so much for your contributions to the city and county of San Francisco, to the department, to the youth, um, to the staff and to all of us who have had the pleasure of being able to work alongside you and with you over the last few years. Thank you so much. Um, and I believe Pauline, uh, is there a way? We have for... one caller. Um, call no, is there... We had a little something that we prepared for you. Oh, okay, um, yes, so, of course. So I wanted to see. If I could get some technical help here. Okay, so I'm going to pull the ball back to see if I can pull it up. Go ahead. Okay, 
So the commendation I have here, uh, let me just pull the correct one up. I have the unsigned one, but. Have to be official. Okay, I'm sorry we cannot pull up the one that's signed, but let me just check one other place because I put it online as well. So if you would just bear with me for one moment. This is where having us in person would have been so much <laughs> easier for all of us, um, where we can actually get a photo as well and do this in a way that we've done in the past. Yeah, I wanted to say something about Paula. If Absolutely, everyone please chime in. You know, uh, I think it was my third meeting or something. I gave you so much grief. <laughs> um, I, uh, and, uh, and then we met and you were so charming. And I thought this woman is a class act, you know, after, you know, my just being so critical and, and honestly, she sat there, she had the book I had written and she had read part, parts of it. And she was so kind and generous. And we've had such good rapport and um, communication since. And I just, I just really appreciated that. And that was such a sign of character and, and uh, just, it, it was very classy and I really appreciated it. And I, I hope you have a wonderful retirement. <laughs> I imagine that you will. Thank you. I, am I allowed to say anything? Absolutely. <laughs> I think I, I might come back for that picture, President Ariano. So, um, luckily this meeting's being recorded. So, oh, there's the, the nice commendation. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I, I did want to say a few words because, um, as commissioner Brodkin has noted and chief Miller and president Ariano, um, I have been in probation. I've been doing this for 34 years. It's, it's really all that I know how to do. Um, and I come at it humbly and I come at it with, um, passion. And so, um, I feel like I'd like to take a moment just to say something. Um, so president Ariano and, and fellow commissioners, um, of course, I ask that chief Miller not do any special recognition. I would just like to disappear quietly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but here we are. Um, I have been here for almost seven years now, and it seems as yesterday and also forever ago that Chief Nance first introduced me to this body and to, to those of you that are, are still on the body. Um, I'm not one that ever seeks center stage, and I prefer just to be the strength in the background to figure things out. And I thank you for the opportunity to be able to continue to do that. There have been big challenges some that I never in my career ever thought I would face. Um, but here I am, and I've added to my experience and uh, continue to survive the tsunami that we sometimes find ourselves in the midst of. I've been a probation officer for 34 years, and I serve with the same humility and 
passion that I began. Um, how many of us are blessed enough to serve the communities and the city that raised us? Helping youth like myself, um, who have met seemingly insurmountable challenges growing up, I have faced adversity, and it was my dream to help lift other kids up that were like me. I didn't know what a probation officer was, but I'm sure glad I found my way to where I belonged. Probation is the only field where we work with others in so many capacities. We work with children, attorneys, families, law enforcement, courts, behavioral health, schools, um, engineering, animal control, community advocates, really everyone. Every day brings with it new challenges and we evolve and we build on what we learn. We do things better and we continue to advocate for change and to make a difference in the lives of children. Sure, I have sad stories and I have happy stories. And as much as I never thought my career would shape my life, it has. Who, it has defined who I am as a person today. Tomorrow is promised and I don't know what the future holds for me, but I do know that I have brought my best to the table. So President Ariano, Probation Commission, Chief Miller, thank you for your support. And um, I do have the best wishes and the biggest heart for this department. So thank you for your rec recognition. Thank you. Uh, this is where I get to play the wizard and I get to hand you this virtual soon to be real in person uh, commendation. So I just want to say again, on behalf of this commission, it's been just simply a pleasure to work with you, whether it be finance related, whether it be talking about the youth, whether it be touring the facilities, whether it be talking about a boiler that went down one time and caused a <laughs> crisis. Um, I just feel like no matter what crisis issue policy um, or debate that we've had uh, both in person over the phone, over email, you name it, you have just, I, I echo Commissioner Brodkin and, and some of the words of others. It's just, you brought and bring a professionalism to this department that is unmatched and unparalleled. And I think that we all uh, just owe you a debt of gratitude for your service to the department in the city and county. So in recognition of your outstanding contributions as assistant chief probation officer and the other many hats that you have worn uh, over the years for this department and on behalf of the department, um, you know, we just thank you for your service and would love to uh, wish you well in retirement. And hopefully uh, we see you in some form or fashion uh, back here at this commission. I'm sure you'll be um, doing something for the community that, um, you know, warrants us getting in touch with you again. And if not, we'd love to just see your family photos and make that an agenda item and hear how you're doing. So uh, we wish you well, and uh, I'll open it up to others who have any other comments, um, but we just wanted to thank you so much uh, for your service. Thank you. Are there other commissioners at this time that would like to say anything? Commissioner Maldonado, go ahead. I would just like to say thank you so very much for all those years of service that you've given to our city and to, to all the young people in our city. Um, you're definitely going to be missed for gain in retirement and rest and having fun is, is certainly our loss. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. It's 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 been a pleasure. So best wishes. 
Thank you, Commissioner Maldonado. Are there other comments at this time? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna add some to uh, Paula. When I first came on, too, I, I you know, I, you know, I, you know, I come in and you know, I'm, I'm on this commission because of my passion for my community, right? And when I first came on, you kind of pulled me to the side and said, James, let's talk about this sometime, right? Let's have some conversation, right? And you know, you can feel when somebody have a passion for what they do, right? And I just felt that, you know, you like, I just kind of drew to you because it was kind of like it was there, you know, your passion, and that's. That's what I look for when we do this work, right? It's the passion that people have for what they do, right? And you are definitely going to be missed up there at Juvenile Hall. They don't realize, like, the role you play until you leave, right? And then it's like, when that's gone, it's just like, it's going, I mean, it's going to be a void that can never get filled. And I just felt that in you when we first met, right? You know, we never bumped head or anything. We were always, I. I can always see in your eyes that you were like right there with me all the time. So it was like, you know, I, hey, I appreciate you. And, you know, like, I don't know what you're going to do in retirement, but um, I know the work you, you, you're going to miss the work, right? I mean, it's, it's our doors is open. You can always come down to Hill Hutch because I'm always open and come have some conversation. Let's have that conversation. Let's talk. And, you know, um, Let's see. I mean, it's it's always something to be be doing. So I know you're not. You're gonna get bored just doing nothing. So you you better go out and work because the kids are gonna need you. That's for sure. So it's always some opportunity somewhere. So um, rest a little bit, catch up, and reach out to me, and enjoy your retirement too. Thank you. I, I just want to echo all the accolades from all the commissioners. Assistant Chief, you've been so great. I know when I first met you many, many years ago, you, I just commend you for your um, professionalism, for your caring, and you're always there. You know, if the former Chief was not around, you're always there, providing all the information that we need for us. And I think you are just great. Just unfortunate that you give us a taste of your honey and you are taking the honey away from us. So, yeah. you know, we wish you the best of luck. And like um, Commissioner James said, you can always come back. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Moses. Are there any questions, uh, any comments from other commissioners? Paula, I am saddened that I have not gotten the chance to really work with you that long, but I, um, it sounds like you will be greatly missed and I, it sounds like I'm missing out on that opportunity to learn from you and to work with you. And so I'm, I'm very sad, but I want to echo everyone else in saying thank you. It sounds like you've really had a whole lifetime of dedication to this work, um, which is just so impressive and really heartwarming. And I, I can feel what a big loss it is. So congratulations on your retirement though. Enjoy it very much. Um, it sounds like you're being already asked to come back and volunteer. So I would say take some time to yourself before you consider taking the other commissioners up on their offers to uh, to put you back to work. Thank you, Commissioner. I, I wouldn't be, don't be surprised to see me. <laughs> hey, the door is always open. I know where you are. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, with that, I think enjoy the rest of your night. Uh, 
assistant chief if there's no other uh items here that you know you need to be I'll, I'm, I'm gonna give you the night off if, if the chief will allow me it still works here <laughs> <laughs> okay okay Thanks, um Ariano, but i still have to listen to my boss <laughs> <laughs> all um, right chief yeah. uh I'll, I'll hand it back to you um and uh again bittersweet for all of us here but just excited for your retirement and uh, for what comes next yeah thank you i uh i was remiss in not saying this at the beginning so i should just add that i met paula at her job interview <laughs> because uh, chief Manns had asked me to sit on the panel um, when he was hiring an assistant chief. So um, it was really like great karma for me that then we got to work together. Um, and I know where uh, how to reach her. So I, uh, she's, she's, it's like a bat phone that we're going to keep calling. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move us forward in the agenda. Um, and so the next thing on the agenda is racial equity action plan update. This is a standing item on the agenda and um i uh I, just a quickie this month i'm just going to give you a quick update because sometimes this will occupy a lot of our time but what i want to say are just uh, um three things one is that the as you all know we turned in the um very detailed internal facing racial equity work plan uh to the city action plan for the city in december um as did every other department that's focused on our staff on our internal work um you know on professional development and discipline and a culture of inclusion. The city is now working on kind of scoring, for lack of a better word, all of the proposals that it received. Um, and so they're still in that process. Huge lift for that department to be doing that work. I think you all remember how long our plan was. I multiply that by all departments. Um, so that's happening right now. And then the city is still working through the Office of Racial Equity on what they're gonna be looking at for departments in terms of our external work, right? So how do we make sure that we're being intentional about racial equity in all the ways that we face out in our work into the San Francisco community? So they're still working on kind of what that like format and template is gonna be. I think that's fine. Obviously we're doing a lot of external work in our juvenile justice system, right? On how we do our work. And I think to me, the reminder is we need to always make sure that racial equity is the lens through which we're doing that work. Um, but we're kind of waiting on that next piece from the city. I will share with Pauline and she can share out with everybody um, uh, a recording th that was done of a meeting that the Office of Race Equity had, I think just last week, maybe the week before, where they kind of walked city departments through what's coming up on the horizon around racial equity. So if folks are interested, we'll share it out. You can watch it at your leisure. And then I'll be reporting more on some of our racial equity work in May when I come back to you as part of my report. So that's kind of where we are for now with it. Um, and uh, and then I'm gonna move us to the next part of our report, which is the update on confiscated funds. And I'm gonna turn it over to Steve Arcelona. As a reminder, um, this issue was brought up. The fact that the city is, um, that the department is uh, kind of sitting on funds that young people were booked into the hall with and then never reclaimed on the way out. And that question of how are we gonna try to get it back to young people what do we do with the money we have that we can't get back? And then, of course, the most important thing, how do we make sure that doesn't happen in the future? So I'm going to turn. Steve has been working really hard on this with some of our other staff and other city departments. I'm going to turn it to him for an update. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thank you, Chief. Um, <clears throat> good evening, uh, 
commissioners and welcome Commissioner Shorter. Uh, it's been a while. Um, maybe a little background for the new commissioners. Um, uh, the confiscated funds are basically the funds that uh, are taken from the youth uh, when they're admitted into the juvenile hall. Uh, the money is generally placed in a safe um, and when the youth is released, uh, they're instructed to pick up the money from the cashier. Um, when the funds uh, reach a certain amount, they're deposited into a separate bank account. Uh, in this case, a Bank America bank account, uh, which has not been part of the city's system, by the way. And over the years, and it seems like decades, uh, for many different reasons, the youth has the youth have not been picking up their money. And as a consequence, the, the amount has grown to approximately $60,000. Um, and the amounts range from under a dollar to several hundred dollars. Uh, so as the chief said, uh, and a lot of credit has to go to Glenn de Leon, who is not uh, in the meeting tonight, but over the past year, uh, almost single-handedly, she's been going through old records to identify youth who are owed this money. Um, and of the 60,000, uh, we've been able to identify the names and addresses of, for approximately $16,000 of the amount. And then unfortunately, the names and the addresses for the remaining amount uh, are unknown. Uh, to complicate matters, uh, several years back, two fraudulent checks were written by a former employee, and uh, therefore uh, our ability uh, to make further deposits or to even write checks were taken away from the department. So uh, we have been working really closely with the city's tax office and the controller, and um, we're taking the following steps. Um, so we have finally been able to close the account. Um, and we are going to be able to send out letters uh, knowing, uh, notifying the individuals whose addresses and names we know. Um, we'll be able to uh, move the money into a city account. Uh, so that going forward, um, we will be able to write city vouchers. Uh, if the amount is under a certain amount, uh, we'll uh, continue to provide cash to the individuals. And for the funds uh, for whom um, we don't know the owners, um, we are now able to put it into the budget um, we are proposing uh, that the monies be used uh, to support families and youth. Um, this will require the approval from the Board of Supervisors. Um, but since the monies were taken from youth, it, we feel that that's really the only way that they should be used. Uh, and we're finally uh, modifying internal procedures so that um, we can ensure that this doesn't happen again going forward. Um, 
we will make sure that we're accounting for all the money and uh, we're uh, developing procedures so that we get the money to the young people as quickly as possible um, when they when they leave. And um, again, uh, a lot of credit to Glenn de Leon. And that's my report. Chief, I think you're muted. When, when will that stop happening? Um, <laughs> I just wanna add on to Steve's report. I wanna thank Steve, I wanna thank Glenn DeLeon. She did do a huge amount of work trying to figure out who we could return money to. Um, and then for that money that's remaining that Steve referenced, I wanted to share what um, some thinking is that we have about a way to, to spend it that we think is kind of consistent with a lot of the conversation happening right now in the city. Um, uh, for folks who haven't been going to the closed juvenile hall work group meetings, um, the, there are members of that um, body, um, Kriya Gomez and Valentina Sedano, who did an amazing job doing listening sessions with young people and their families to really hear about what they felt they needed from the system, what isn't working, what is working. Um, and one theme that they came away with was really to have um, uh, an, an organization in place to support families as, as their kids go through the system to support parents. Um, and the efforts that have, the people who have been doing that work over the years in the city have been doing it without any compensation. And so one thing that I would like to offer to you as the commission for your feedback is that we are thinking that this money potentially combined with some other money um, as well that we have from the state could be used to actually partner with, for the city to partner with a community organization to really serve that function for the families, the parents and guardians of our kids as they go through the system. I don't think that should be left um, parents who've been through the system to do as volunteers. They already have a lot in their lives that they're juggling and it's kind of through the grace of God that people spend their time helping other parents through the system. And I think we should recognize and invest in that as a, as a real part of our response to juvenile justice in San Francisco. So our thinking at this time is that for those remaining funds to go into them, what would become um, a funding of a, a CBO in the city to take on that work. I wanted to share that with, with you all and um, hear any feedback you might have. I guess a silent thumbs up from <laughs> Commissioner Brodkin. <laughs> Sounds great, Chief. Uh, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Shorter, go ahead. I, I just have one, one question. Um, that's an awful lot of money. Um, and it would, sounds like it would, um, be put to good use as as is um, prescribed by the chief, and um, enthusiastically supported by by Commissioner Brocken. Um, how uh, Steve is is there? However, um, a notification, a public notification or notice, um, so that if you are a young person who may have claim to those dollars, what, how does that work? Yeah, Commissioner Shorter, uh, <clears throat> this was a lengthy discussion with the controller's mm -hmm. office and the tax office. I imagine. That, that generally, uh, if there's any, and the city attorney, by the way, uh, 
if there's a notice that goes out, um, generally you have at least the names and the amounts of individuals to whom the money is owed. Uh, if you have no record of that, and that's the, the situation we find ourselves in, anybody could come to the office and say, the money's mine and we would have absolutely no way of proving that. So we wouldn't we wouldn't then require identification or any proof, even if even I understand in terms of public notice, it would have to have the person's name and the amount of money because of. Uh, but we can't necessarily do that because those persons were minors, right? And under juvenile um, justice, under some form of jurisdiction at some point. So that that is set up for uh, it presumes that the notice then is for the benefit of of adults. So I guess what I'm asking is that since that kind of a notification, I would imagine wouldn't work for this population or people that were under the age of majority at the time. Um, yeah, I, I'm just curious as to how would i know even if you're not putting the exact amount said so there is a you know if you are a someone who may have um money <laughs> that you left in juvenile probation between you know this period of time the year whatever to end of whatever um and you think that you have a claim um, since we already internally have the names of the persons and the amount of money, we is that correct, or maybe I misunderstood how that worked. So we, so Commissioner Shorter, we don't. So for the ones who we do have it, we are going to mm -hmm. contact them. But for okay. the majority of the money for which right. we have no names, have, oh, you're saying, oh, I, okay, <laughs> yeah. And also, okay. Steve, can you just just also add on what date, what year this goes back to? Um, we think it can go back decade, <laughs> decades. <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Okay. My mistake. I, yeah. I missed that part. I thought we were just talking like in the last five, six mm -hmm. years. And I was like, wow, who, yeah. who's walking in with $60,000 worth of money <laughs> that's accumulated? Is, you know, so there must, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. It, the important thing is that it not happen again. That yeah, not happen from now, where we're not stealing right money right from kids, and yeah, I think I that's, that's happened. I was well. I'm glad you brought some clarification to that. That's a long time. I thought maybe it's kind of uh, recent. Yeah, because that's again. I'm I'm going to bring this to attention of everybody again. You know, my passion for the grandparents who cares. Mm. You know. But um, because this, yeah, I'm sure during that time, some of these grandparents are just um, struggling because they don't want to see their kids, you know, being shipped away. So they were just struggling to spend the little money they are getting from social security, you know, and things like that. But I, mean, I know some of them are probably gone or still alive. I thought maybe we can find a way of uh, giving them some money too. Because mm -hmm. some CBO, you know, they they loaded with money, but the grandparents who care, you know, they, they just poor, 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 poor. But anyway, 
That's so, a suggestion. So we looked at all different kinds of options, and what we right. we can't so what we can't do is give the money to individuals without any kind of sure. record. Right. You know, we talked about whether we wanted to just convert it into gift cards that we can use for the families we support, but we already do that a lot, right? We already have allocated a really good amount of money for our gift cards. You've heard reports from me over the right. months about how much. Um, we're trying to give gift cards and financial support directly to families of the kids we work with. Um, for this, I think, I think I would say the way this could help a grandparent, right, is that, um, you know, having that person you can really rely on to help support you through the system, to help navigate something that may feel really strange and scary to you, I think is a way that we can use this money to help the caregivers of our children. Right. Sure. Um, sure. Because they don't have a lawyer appointed for them. They don't have right. somebody who's there for them, and uh, and it's really always been done on a volunteer basis. So it actually puts money in the pocket of the people who, you know, someone who would have done that for, as a volunteer for a long time, who probably also really could use some support. Right. So that's that's yes. kind of our thinking on it, since we can't just um, give it to people sure. directly that way. Um, All right. You know, well, and then maybe you. you know, make sure that the people that we bring in to do the work that the CBO, um, you know, among other things, is also making sure that when kids are released, they're saying to their parents, "Well, hey, have you picked up any money they may have?" Like that's even one part of it, right? They're kind of paying it forward in a way that we better serve our families, and that they're served by someone who they feel comfortable with, who they trust, who they want to have supporting them through hard moments. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. It's good to try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's a great example of an ability to actually put money to where our mouth is right now behind, like the things that are coming up in these city processes, right? We're hearing directly from young people. We're hearing from parents that they wish they had this. We have this money. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's meet that need. And we can learn from this. I mean, to see how this fund is used and what the priority needs are and mm -hmm. think about it for future budgets where we do it actually more proactively. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Are there any oh go ahead, Commissioner? No, for me, it'll be, it'll be about making the process easy, though, right? You know, and don't make the process. There's so much red tape that goes into trying to move a few dollars to a parent or a, some a guardian or somebody. It, it's just too much. Sometimes, you know, people just don't want to get involved. Or, and, you know, it's just too much sometimes to get $100 or something. Mm -hmm. Just making the process where, you know, it's, it's a simple process and you know where it's going. It's it's, and even as, I mean, I don't know, do you still have canteen and everything up in juvenile? We're young people that's incarcerated. You know, we don't incarcerated. charge kids for things in the hall. Oh, okay. So, you know, I mean, we're fixing that, having a fun where, you know, kids can walk home with a few dollars in their pocket as well. So, I mean, it's, but it's the process you have to make easy mm -hmm. and simple. So the people don't have to spend, you know, a whole bunch of time trying to go through and a whole bunch doing a whole bunch of paperwork because, you know, our people are not going to, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to take the time out and just, you know, it's, it's not worth the hassle sometimes, you know? Right. And I think that's where the process that Steve was explaining, it will be much easier in the future for our families to actually get that money back. Are there any other questions or comments on the confiscated funds update of the chief's report? 
All right, Chief, uh, nine-month fiscal updates. Sure, I will hand it over to Cheryl Taylor to do this. As, as you all know, um, and Commissioner Shorter, as you don't know, um, we committed starting this year to be doing some fiscal updates for the commission so that you can see where we are in relation to the budget that was approved in the previous year. So we did our six-month report in January, first time ever. And now this is the nine month and I'm going to give my big hats off to Cheryl Taylor um, for coming in and doing this on her vacation. So, thank you, Cheryl, and I will turn it over to you. Thank you all thank and you. Um, uh, Pauline, I'm wondering if you can give me sharing ability. I think Pauline had to step away for a second. Let me try oh. that. Oh, okay. I think I can do it. Okay, let's hope that my um, internet holds up well enough. Um, okay, and you can see now, um, you can see a PowerPoint, is that right? Yeah. We're good, thank you. Okay, good. Let me start the slideshow. Okay. Uh, oh. Okay, here we go. Um, nine month budget status report. So this is a, a citywide exercise that's um, uh, done sort of at the um, direction of the mayor's office and the controller's office um, to sort of give them an overall sense of, of where departments are, overall where the city is on revenues um, and spending. Um, if um, sort of as a city, we see any sort of danger danger areas, um, savings, for example, or overspending um, shortfalls in revenue, that sort of thing. So um, our report, and I'll try to be quick here, um, our report as the other departments um, reports covers revenues and expenditures through March 2021. And that's, you know, most of the year, nine month mark. So definitely by this time, we should have a very good sense, very good handle of where we are in terms of our spending and our, um, our revenues. Um, so we do mostly a straight line um, projection, which is just we look at the time that's elapsed and compare the percentage of, of the year that's elapsed with the percentage of spending um, just to see where we are. And so um, once the controller's office and the mayor's office collects all the departmental reports and meets with all of us, um, then they'll publish their own citywide report. Okay, so um, I do just want to give um, a, an overview that and you'll sort of maybe recognize this sort of traffic signal slide from before um, that on basically all of these measures were in pretty good shape um, and and you'll you'll see that salaries and benefits over time which I've pulled out as as an as an item of some importance are in fairly good shape um, our non labor spending non personal services spending also is fine um, as well as revenues. Um, so just to recap, this is what um, the juvenile probation budget um, looks like. And um, you can see, let's see if I can, I might need to move my speakers um, box a little bit. Oops, went too far. Um, so this is sort of um, very much what we had last time around. Um, you'll see that, let me just advance, oops. Um, you'll see that we've spent a little over half of the budget on an all fund sense. Um, 
which sort of means we'll probably carry forward a lot of spending, but I'll just sort of highlight what we haven't um, spent this year yet, which hasn't sort of shown up in our budget. And, and there's some pretty big items. Um, we have a debt service payment on Juvenile Hall of $1.9 million that hasn't materialized. Um, we had the juvenile placement alternative, which was funds from prior years, um, youth, what is it, youthful offenders block grant, um, as well as some other uh, realignment funds, um, as well as we have some carry forward from prior years that we were allowed to spend that hasn't yet been been spent. So there's there's um, quite a bit that's um, that we are hoping to carry forward in spending next year. Um, I will say on the debt service that that's really sort of um, an automatic sort of charge. It's out of our hands. I believe it's the um, the controller's office um, office of public finance that handles uh, debt service payments. So, moving on, I just want to show this overall um, labor picture. The overall labor picture shows that um, um, we are on an, for all divisions, we are slightly under budget on both actual and projection. So, the first, the top two bars show um, actual spending to date. The, um, the orange sort of square shows what is projected um, at the very end of the year. So, you'll, you'll see about what is it about 28 million dollars all funds is projected to be spent against a budget of 29.7 million dollars okay there we go figured out how to move that thing um and so by division um you'll see that where most divisions are mostly in line with their budget administration has underspent their labor budget um as well as i think that's that looks like juvenile hall in the middle um, and then probation is slightly is projected to be slightly overspent um, but sort of as, as you saw on the previous slide overall will in the year um, within the labor budget um, overtime is a little bit of a different story but Overtime is within um, our overall labor budget, but this is something that we definitely want to keep an eye on um, in terms of sort of managing our overall spending um, because it, it it can get out of hand for some departments, but for us, we're fine. Carol, um, Carol can I cut in on that last one for yes. a second? I do want to just make sure people know that buildings and grounds is part of our administration division. So where you see the overtime reflected there, it's a lot of the overtime related to doing um, unexpected sanitizing and cleaning around the campus as a COVID mitigation strategy. So just wanted to make sure people know that that does sit in the administration section and is what you're really seeing as a driver there. Go yes. Ahead, Carol. Oh, and, and thank you for uh, slowing me down on that, because I, I also want to add that um, um, part of building and ground sort of ability clean uh, is related to the courts, which um, we are reimbursed for, but that reimbursement shows up on the revenue side versus on the spending side. So it looks like we're overspent, but we're getting um, a lot of it back on the revenue side. So um, I do want to just sort of show you this graphic on our revenues. Um, on the left side, it shows our budgeted revenues for this year. Um, the sort of big chunk is all alignment funds, which is useful um, block grant. Um, it's um, juvenile activities probation fund and reentry, um, as well as um, we have Title IV E in there. Um, 
is a sort of another, I would say it's a, another big chunk. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing a much better job, I think, in terms of, of actually collecting and recognizing revenue. Um, and so we just want to keep on that path. Um, too, and so we're, we're, we're nearly there. We may sort of end up um, collecting sort of the bulk of the revenue. Um, at the end of the year, I think there's like a, maybe a 90 day revenue recognition period that the city has that we can. Um, at the end of the fiscal year that we can um, do some catch up on. So that just to recap, um, I do want to say that, you know, we're all good salaries and benefits projected to end the year at budget over time, um, even though there's um, overspending and probation and admin, it'll be offset um, on an overall basis by salaries and benefits, non personnel um, underspending. We predict to be within budget and revenues are, are slightly under collected, but I think we'll be um, we're doing a much better job on the administrative cleanup, which I sort of say is a temporal thing. We, we knew that we needed to um, devote some time and resources on that. And then there's a slight um, lower basis for reimbursable costs, which we factored into the next year's budget. So that is my report and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Cheryl. Are there questions from my fellow commissioners? Commissioner Brodkin. Yeah. Um, if you have extra money, there's no advantage to carrying it over. We have these things that we're trying to do, like get foster homes started, keep Catholic charities alive, um, do the consulting work to make sure we have an alternative to the juvenile hall. Can't you spend that money? I'll, I can jump in here to, to, to Cheryl's point and to your point, Commissioner. So the answer is yes, right? So the money that we've been able to carry forward from the past is supporting some of that work. And then the state money we don't spend this year, we can carry into the future. Um, so, the, so I would say this, I would say, whereas general fund money that we don't spend just can boop, disappear at the end of the fiscal year, the state money we don't spend, we know we can, we have a lot more latitude and we can carry it forward as we're finalizing all of these kinds of discussions and plans for the future and invested in those things, right? So it's important for us to um, be drawing it down from the state and making sure we have it when we need it. So the placement money, for example, that was in our uh, budget last year, we have here now, I think, as you know, and we'll talk about it, I think, more during your programs committee report. You know, we are in conversations about how do we spend that? Do we spend some of it on foster homes? Do we quickly, do we spend some of it to support Catholic charities if they have the desire at this point, right? So we have that money here for that purpose now. Um, there was some money we were able to carry. There was some general fund money, as Cheryl mentioned, that we were able to keep at the end of last fiscal year. The city approved it for us to use for some of our race equity planning and some of our, and bringing in consultants to support some of our blue ribbon panel work, right? So we're about to be able to start using that right now. So there's, I would say two categories. There's money that we've been able to carry forward that we know what we wanna do with. And then there's money right now in the current year budget, we may end the year with state money that we can then carry forward to continue to be plugging into these plans as we're starting now to be identifying what we wanna do. Um, and I think for us, it is a conscious decision at any given time. When are we spending state money versus general fund money? knowing that obviously the city wants us to not rely on general fund money when we don't have to, and also balancing it against in this moment where we know that we may need to be um, nimble 
and pivoting and trying new things, wanting to make sure we're holding some of that state money to have for those new things. So we're trying to kind of balance it out. Um, I know that's really confusing. Sorry about that. My best attempt to say we, you know, we're, we, uh, we're trying to be very mindful of what we're carrying forward and making sure that we're able to have things at the ready when some of these processes we're all doing lead us down certain paths. And I think placement's probably the closest one right now, right? Other questions or comments for the chief about the nine month fiscal report? Not seeing any. All right, thank you, Cheryl, for the update. Go back and enjoy your uh, time off. Thank you so much. Take care now. And Chief, is that the last item? Uh, yes, that's the last for me. And I think it's, um, we can, I, I, do you take public comment after this or do we go into Commissioner Brodkin's programs committee report? I'm not sure what your next step is. Uh, I think we have to take item B as well. So why don't we go ahead and um, have Commissioner Brodkin. Are you uh, ready for a programs committee report? Yeah, I'll be brief. Um, I have to say the program committee before this one, we devoted to talking about family resource uh, care, foster care. And I am so gratified that the chief has moved forward with this with enormous enthusiasm um, to you know, talk to the people who were, came to the committee to work with her staff, who was wildly enthusiastic about this. And I feel like this opens up a whole new um, opportunity for young people. So it isn't just about being in a group home or being in an institution that we're gonna start really maximizing the utilization of family resource homes. So thank you. And the, the, this is to me, the perfect use of the program committee. So I'm really excited that we can delve into an issue and then sort of see progress. So we talked about Bayview Hunters Point at this last uh, committee meeting, which is the neighborhood where the, uh, not the majority of kids come from, but the, the neighborhood that has the most people in our system, almost mm -hmm. young people. Um, and I wanna thank uh, Commissioner Moses, um, and I'll give you a chance to comment on it in a second, because at his, uh, suggestion. Um, we invited the ED of uh, uh, DJ Brookter from um, Young Community Developers, who gave a fabulous report. And Commissioner Moses, you can say a report on it, but um, it really was wonderful to talk about the wide range of services that are offered by young community developers. And um, I heard them praised today at a meeting I was just at, and um, one of the staff of uh, JPD got on and said how, you know, what a great agency it's been for them to work with. There was a little bit of a disturbing part of it, which is they described the uh, home detention program that they had set up. And then one of the staff people said, yeah, it's going to be a great program, but we haven't gotten any referrals yet. So um, that's something that I, I think probably needs to be corrected since we have a lot of young people from um, Bayview Hunters Point, and this is the the perfect program to keep kids out of the hall. So um, I think that it was discussed in another meeting today, by the way, as something that 
needs to happen in the future. And then we had um, um, from uh, Shimon Walton's office, uh, Tracy Gallardo, um, sort of reported on something that I knew nothing about called the public safety plan. Maybe, maybe some of you all know about it, but there, it's on, it's online, by the way, in his office. Uh, and we heard about a whole plan, and I think um, uh, Young Community Developers is the lead agency in this. And it's a very, uh, it, it, I read it the, this afternoon, it's a big plan about public safety and all the different departments collaborating, et cetera, et cetera. But the part that was relevant to us was they described this program called the convener. And there's a, a, a staff person from YCD who is going to be the convener, whose job is to track all our kids all the kids from the juvenile probation system who live in Bayview and make sure that they get to where they need to go and nobody falls through the cracks. A lot of people go like, wait, aren't we already doing that? Is this duplicative? What are you talking about? How can... But actually, you know, I think it's going to be a good thing. Um, it was just good. And thank you to the chief for sort of saying, get them to come and tell people what's going on. So they talked about what this convener is going to do and get involved in school-based prevention and mediation and community partnerships and get arranged transportation. The whole idea is no one falls in the cracks and everybody gets to a community agency. So then the last thing we did is have um, DCYF. I really wanted to see this happen and now I'm looking for my notes damn, um, tell about from their perspective what programs are being funded in the Bayview. And honestly, DCYF is spending $24.5 million serving 8,000 kids in the Bayview in 134 different programs. Now, of course, I'm very proud that they're able to, to, to do that. Um, and uh, I think that we don't realize that um, uh, th this is not just serving our kids. This is serving all kids in the Bayview. And it's it's a significant investment that the city is making and not the only investment. And I just think it's important that people put that into perspective. And a big chunk of that is going to um, uh, teens and um, young people in the in, in our uh, juvenile justice system. So I don't know, Commissioner Moses, do you want to say anything else about uh, the ED of uh, of Young Community? He's a very impressive man. Yes, He's yeah. very articulate. He is very energetic and um, excited about the work that he is doing. Well, thank you, Commissioner Burton. You did very well. You said it all. And you conducted the meeting very, very well last time in a very nice, orderly manner. So I really commend you for that. Yes, you're right. One of the reasons why we invited C C um, DJ to come was for some of you who are new, the population of our clients in Bayview, I mean, at, at, um, at YGC, are mostly from Bayview. So we thought maybe since young community developer has a very good reputation and everything to ask him to come and share some of the success story. And like um, Commissioner said, 
he did very, very well. And he, you know, he articulated everything. And one thing that he said that is very important, I'd be glad to come back, you know, maybe quarterly basis to update you. Not too many presenters can say that. So I really give him credit for saying I'd be glad to come back to us. We thought maybe we can invite him to our commission meeting. Unfortunately, his commission also meet at the same time we meet because he's on, he's on the police commission. But besides that, he did a wonderful job. So I thank you very much, Commissioner Bracken and also Commissioner James, and of course our chief for paying attention. It was well attended. Thank you. Thank you, commissioners. And thank you, uh, Commissioner Brodkin, for really uh, taking the mantle of the uh, leadership position at the programs committee and just running with it. I just, I mean, it's, is it, this is now the second or third meeting? I think second, right? Third meeting. Oh, third meeting. And it just it feels like each one just keeps mm -hmm. building upon the last one. And um, I just love the work that you're, um, you know, putting together with uh, Commissioner Spingola and Commissioner Moses. Um, in the community, the CBOs, all the stakeholders. So um, it's so great to see the meetings happening uh, regularly and also to get folks like um, DJ from YCD, who I can also attest is just amazing. And it's, uh, the work of YCD um, is also amazing. So it's great to just hear all the, um, the folks coming to the table and really um, hammering out solutions and, and hearing the department also alongside them as well at the table. Um, you know, I, it really just seems goal and results oriented and, and I really do appreciate that. Chief, I see your hand raised. Um, did you want to say something? Yeah, I, sure. I just wanted to give um, uh, the quick updates on kind of some of the specific tasks that we have done that have come out of the meetings, like Commissioner Brodkin um, commented on. So the first meeting that, she, that um, she pulled together was, of course, with probation, Juvenile Justice Providers Association, talking about how we're going to be working together better. So this coming Friday, there's a meeting with some of the PO staff and some other representatives of the JJPA to really start hammering on like common agreements around communication and how we're going to commit to be working well together, create kind of a new foundation for that. So that's coming up this Friday. I'm going to be co-facilitating it with Don Suckle, who is one of the co-chairs of the JJPA. So we're really, I'm really excited and looking forward to that. That was meeting number one. Uh, meeting number two uh, is was where we talked about placement and foster care, and I am so so down with the enthusiasm that Commissioner Rogkin was alluding to. I think everybody came out of that meeting really feeling like we could have this great potential for different options for our kids who can't be at home. Um, so uh, we have had a meeting with uh, between probation and alternate family services to see how we can start that partnership together. We're sending them, we sent our first big one off today, these sample packets that give profiles of our young people that we're trying to find um, homes for so that AFS can look at those and see whether we're a good fit or what other supports do we need to put around families so that they'd be willing to care for our kids. And then I had a meeting um, next week with the head of children and family services over at human service agency to talk about how we could work to augment the existing contract that they have. So very concrete steps to follow up. And I, I just really have to say if, Mar if Commissioner Brogdon hadn't like brought everybody together, it would have taken us a lot longer, right, to get here. So it was a great example of something incredibly like specific and tangible coming out of that conversation. Um, and then I, as part of that, I do want to note, because it was about placement and we didn't talk about it today and we should talk about it in the future. 
Um, but we do need to do a conversation at some point about the girl shelter. Um, we did receive, um, and I received an email yesterday from Catholic Charities about their intent to close it down. I have reached out to them uh, to ask what the dollar amount it would be required to not have that happen and what their will is around that. We don't know yet. We'll report back in the future, but I do want to note that as an aspect of placement for our kids. And then on the last meeting, on the D10 meeting, I just wanted to put out um, kind of the update for us, um, Commissioner Brodkin, which is that I was just reached out to, I think today, by uh, Tracy Gallardo and Supervisor Walton's office to schedule that first meeting between that convener and probation staff. So I think it'll be the week after next. And then again, it'll be that kind of next step on um, starting to work together on, on implementing that plan. So that's also in, in the works now. So what, what I've tried to do is have a drill down on one topic at each meeting mm -hmm. and bring everybody in really as presenters so it can be a conversation rather than, you know, a stilted thing and which I think is legal. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's very energizing. The next meeting mm -hmm. is going to be about 18 and over year olds, which is now a third of our population yeah. or a, a big and um, as it turned out, one of the people that I was bringing in as the guest of how to how to serve these kids is Gabe Cavillo, who just got hired by by us. So that'll be great. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. So if you want to come, it's April 29th at three o'clock. Thank you, Commissioner. At uh, this time, we will open up for public comment. And I'll just remind members of the public to press star three to raise their hands and be added to the public comment line. Uh, Madam Secretary, do we have any hands raised? I think I see one so far. We do, we have one caller. All right. So I cannot unmute her. I, I believe it's Cheryl Cowan. Um, but you have to unmute her. Okay, I will do that right now. Hi, this is Cheryl Cowan. Can you hear me? We can. Hi, um, I am the executive assistant to the chief and to the assistant chief. And I hope I can get through this without tearing up and choking up. Um, but I really think that um, I'd like to put in um, a few words from a staff member who has had the privilege to work with Paula um, since she started. Um, and so I'm going to read something quickly so that I don't take too long. And I've had the honor and the joy to have worked with Assistant Chief Paula Hernandez for these past seven years. During this time, the ACPO, as we called her, has been a wonderful, calming presence in a myriad of circumstances from helping parents who brought in a youth who was hogtied. They had thrown over their shoulder, carried him up the ramp. They had his feet tied with electrical cord because they were terrified that he was going to be shot that weekend. And Paula went out there, worked with the families and as did other people, but I remember that clearly. She's helped with inspections. She's helped when the power goes out. She's a go-to person for staff when they have trouble, when they're upset. She's been a quiet, but loud leadership, her classy, classy act, always putting the kids first. And that's really true. The kids always came first with Paula. 
Um, and her leadership as the assistant chief has been invaluable, particularly in the past few years when she's been acting as a real stabilizing influence during a, a, a transition. And her honesty, her wit, her dignity, kindness, her legacy probation knowledge uh, is really going to be sorely missed. Um, her focus has always been on the youth, on the families of San Francisco. I wish her the very best in the new aspect of her life. The city of San Francisco really does owe this woman a, a debt of gratitude. And I'll say quite honestly, it'll be with sadness that we will retire star number two, the assistant chief probation officer, uh, when Paula leaves in the beginning of May. And I wish her well, uh, we all do. So thank you, Paula, gonna miss you. And thanks, uh, Moose, thanks you too. I, you left me with an 80 pound pit bull, so thanks. Bye. Thank you, Cheryl. Are there other, uh, I'm getting a message here. I think it's from the public. Pauline, um, maybe you could help me here with the chat function. Is that a submitted comment that I should read? Chat. No, as a matter of fact, it was just one hand was raised and that was Cheryl in the chat. We were just trying to get Gabe on, but um, I don't think he made it on. I think, um, I think it's from Molly Brown. So I'll just go ahead and read it. Um, I believe it's a submitted comment. Okay, I'm sorry, President. I, I cannot see that, but please proceed. Sure, sure. So I'll just read this. Um, uh, it's from Molly Brown and it states, I'd like to thank Commissioner Brodkin for her work leading the program committee and to the chief for her conversations with AFS to help create new resources for our youth. I'd like to ring alarm bells about potentially losing the girls shelter run by Catholic charities as it is incredibly challenging to open new beds in the city. I'm hopeful the commission can urge the chief to pursue keeping this site available at least for another 12 months. Thank you. So that's a member, uh, uh, Molly Brown's uh, public comment on this item. And I'll just uh, make a note again to the public um, to raise their hands by pressing star three at this time for public comment on the chief's report, item number four. I'll give it another second to see if some hands are raised. Are there any hands raised, uh, Madam Secretary? Not at this time. And have you received any other uh, emailed remarks or voicemails? No, none. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chief. Thank you to the department staff. Uh, as, and again, echoing uh, the comments, thank you to Assistant Chief Hernandez for her service. And, um, you know, uh, we will again greatly appreciate the work of the department on throughout the chief's report um for that data report that always becomes more and more robust the fiscal report uh for cheryl to come reporting from her vacation and uh the department staff for um, clarifying uh all the different policies and um, projects that are happening as department for us as a commission We'll close item number four and move on to item number five, election of the vice president uh, of the commission. This was 
um, added to the agenda uh, because we lost Commissioner Montejano and gained Commissioner Shorter, who, who we're so excited to have as part of the commission. Um, so I'll just open it up for nominations. I see Commissioner Brodkin has her hand raised. Uh, Commissioner yes. Brodkin, do you have a nomination? Thank you. So I would like to nominate one of our newer people, Catherine Chu, to be vice president. I think it's really important to have a new voice in this in this arena, and she has been come into this with enormous energy, as well as being such a strong advocate and a long history of being an advocate and a, and a defender of children and families, and really committed to finding alternatives to young people, children being in institutions and being institutionalized and become part of a bureaucracy. So I think it would be just a really important statement from the commission that we welcome a new younger oh i shouldn't talk about people's age that's uh, a new <laughs> uh, a, a new voice who's going to become an important voice uh, i think in this in this arena and um i think it's also a kind of respect to the mayor that we um Catherine is an appointee of the mayor, and um, I think that it's good for the commission to have uh, one of its officers be an appointee of the mayor. Um, so I enthusiastically <laughs> nominate Catherine Chu. Thank you, Commissioner. Do I have a second? Yeah, I'll second that one. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. <laughs> Is there any public comment at this time? On... Any, I, oh. I mean, do you need more, more nomination? What was that, Commissioner? Do you need more nomination? Or that's, that's, can we nominate somebody else too in addition? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, we can take as many nominations and, and vote on them. Uh, that's right, actually, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, right. I, I'd have to refer to our deputy city attorney in terms of how we do it. If it's if a nomination has to be voted on before we take another nomination, perhaps she can clarify that. Jana. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm listening. I'm actually not sure. Um, I mean, you you can act if you have a majority of the of the commission. So I suppose there's a couple. I've never been asked the question, and I don't think it's in our good government guide. <clears throat> um, but I think if you can vote and you get a majority of the commissioners to vote, um, I, I guess you could do it that way. Do one vote and then, or maybe take multiple nominations so everyone knows who's on the table and then have a vote on each person. I'm sorry. Like I said, I've never been asked this before. I can take a quick, I just was looking at the good government guide to see if there was any instruction there and I don't see any. Um, so I apologize. Um, but that would be, so maybe it seems practical to me to hear all the nominations before you have the votes and then to vote on each person. And then if you have a majority voting for one person, then that person becomes the vice president is how I would suggest doing it in the absence of me being able to find any better advice in the guide, but I'll keep looking. So essentially take uh, nominations and then uh, do the votes. And then if there are more votes for a particular candidate, then uh, the position would go to that uh, nominator nomination. Yeah. yeah, if you have a, a majority voting for one person, then yeah, that's. That's how that's how I think you should proceed, but. Sure, I'm sorry. I just don't that's the best advice I can give at this point. I've been sure. here before. 
Oh, great. Mr. Schroeder, yeah. Well, please, I know you have uh, a wealth of experience on commissions. Perhaps you can enlighten us. This is my, uh, I'm trying to make sure that I, I recollect uh, correctly, but the city attorney is correct. Each nomination has to be treated equally, so you therefore cannot vote um, in, in, a, in a particular sequence at this point. So nominations are still open. The issue then will be whether or not the nominees will accept the nomination. That will be the next part. But yeah. the nominations, therefore, are still open so that each one is, is um, well, the nominations are still, still open. So that's the parliamentary procedure. So the city attorney is correct. All right. If I dare right. say. <laughs> I think um, I think it would be good, though, to get all the nominations out so that yeah. sure. they'll know you know, what's on the table. Right. So, yeah, all nominations are the nominations are still open. So therefore you get all nominations out. Great. Great. So, um, so commissioner Moses, did you want to nominate, um, another candidate for. Yes, I love to, but I know the person is probably going to say, no, we're talking about the new commissioners. I like to also nominate Andre Shora. And, um, because this job is not going to be on the job training for her. She, she's more experienced. She's. You know, she'd be commissioner for a long time from other things. So I'd like to nominate her to be the vice president. And she cannot say no. <laughs> well, I thank you for that nomination to be forward. Any, any is, um, attempts, I actually appreciate that. Um, and however, um, I would like to yield, um, and I won't be accepting nomination at this, at, at this time. And, um, yeah, just want to get my, uh, sea legs on a little bit here. So makes sense. Thank uh, you so much though. I honestly, would, you know, I would draw the nomination then. <laughs> Thank you though. This is becoming an episode of the crown. <laughs> um, all right then. Thank you, commissioners. Um, are there any other nominations at this time? Seeing none. Uh, is there any public comment on this uh, item before we go ahead and take a roll call vote to select our next vice president? And a reminder to press star three to be added to the comment line. I'm not seeing any hands raised. Uh, Madam Secretary, do we have any hands raised on your end? Uh, none at this time. Uh, all right. Can you please uh, do a uh, conduct a roll call vote on the nomination of Commissioner Chu as Vice President? Absolutely. President Ariano. Aye. Commissioner Broadkin. Aye. Commissioner Maldonado. Aye. Commissioner Moses. Aye. Commissioner Shorter? Aye. And Commissioner Spangola? Um, uh, can I add, did anybody ask Commissioner Chu, did she want the nomination or not? Did anybody, I haven't heard that yet. Did anybody ask her? <laughs> did she accept the nomination or not? I, at this point, I, I think I, I think I have to. Exactly. <laughs> I think you got 
I think you were kind of put in a bind. Yeah, I think, you know, um, yeah. But I, you know, I, you know, so, I mean. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, motion passes. Congratulations, Commissioner Chu. Uh, I think now I can go ahead and step away from tearing uh, <laughs> the meetings from time to time uh, because we'll be in good trusted hands um, and we appreciate uh, everything that you've brought to the commission uh, over the last few meetings and months and look forward to your stewardship as the VEEP of the commission. So we thank you for taking on this role and look forward to um, hearing much, much more from you in the future. Thank you everyone. I, I really, I'm surprised and honored by your votes of confidence. Uh, we'll now take item six, future agenda items. Are there any future agenda items that commissioners would like to place for our May or June or future meeting uh, agendas? I'm not seeing any hands raised. All right. Yeah, I have a question. Oh, did did sure. I hear from Chief that you know the next two meetings is going to be devoted to two issues? I believe that was just the data report, right, Chief? Oh, Correct. okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll just be digging in to those topics specifically on the data report, but not right. your whole meeting. Not your whole meeting. Okay. Correct. Yeah. But we can send you suggestions. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, not, I'm not trying to put anyone on the spot, but if there's anything top of mind that um, folks wanted to have addressed, then absolutely um, we could we could take them via email as well. I know it's a long meeting. Um, then we'll move on to announcements. Um, and I just wanted to announce that the deadline is passed for Form 700s, and I believe we all are in compliance. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone, for that and for getting your sunshine and um, other ethics training in. I know that those are, uh, as Commissioner Moses said, do we have to do these every year? Uh, <laughs> I, I thought we just did this. Um, I know that's how a lot of us feel, um, but I appreciate everyone's commitment to refreshing on the sunshine uh, ordinance as well as our ethics policies and appreciate everyone um, getting those in in a timely manner right. so that we're in compliance. I just want to thank our Commissioner Secretary. She She's always good with reminding us. She was she reminded everybody until a day before. So if not, I would probably forget. But she did a wonderful job. So thank you, Paula, Pauline. You're welcome. Thank you. Excellent point. Yes. We um I, I want to echo that. Thank you to our secretary, Ms. Silveray, for doing uh everything she can to prod us and poke us to get those in on time. Uh, because we don't want to get fined uh, and we also want to make sure that our commission's in full compliance. So I appreciate that. Is there any public comment on item six? I'm not seeing any hands raised. Silveray, do we have any hands raised on your end? Not at this time. Thank you. All right, we'll close item six and move to adjournment. We are now adjourned. The time is 7.59 p.m. Thank you so much uh, to my fellow commissioners, and I'll see you next month. Thank right. you. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Well, Thank everyone. Good night. Be safe. Everybody be safe.